what? We finally got the 2024 Messy Reformation Conference on the schedule. Block off your calendars for April 15th through the 17th, 2024. The theme for our first ever conference is Courageous Leadership, with a particular emphasis on what courageous leadership looks like in times of Reformation. In our current Reformation, the CRC needs leaders who are willing to stand firm in their convictions and lead their churches, classes, and denomination with courage and boldness. We've designed this conference to help equip, encourage, and paint a vision for what that courageous leadership will look like wherever God leads us. To find out more about this conference, or to get signed up right away, head on over to themessyreformation.com. Don't wait to get signed up. We need people to get signed up as soon as possible to get a handle on how many people are coming and what to expect, so don't wait. And don't miss this opportunity to equip yourself connect with fellow leaders, and be part of this messy reformation in the CRCNA. As you know, whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy and courageous leaders are needed. That's why we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church, find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for this podcast so that the algorithms push our content further into the world that needs to hear what we're saying. You are the marketing plan, and we believe we've placed our marketing in good hands. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Nick Monsma. I, I don't want to just look at the world with rose-colored glasses, but I do... I do believe, and I and the more I talk about this with other people, the more they say, yeah, we see this too. There is, the Holy Spirit is doing something in this area, and it seems pretty exciting because there is a, there's a growing interest in Reformed theology all over this area. There's one, one Christian Reformed church here in this county, and then two in the county over in the uh, suburbs of, of Rochester. And then there have historically been a, a large number of Reformed churches, RCA churches, um, and most of those have shrunk significantly, but there is a little, there's a little cluster here with our Christian Reformed Church and then two, especially two Reformed churches nearby that have, um, that have really seen a resurgence in, um, one of them has grown tremendously in the last couple of years and uh, with, with people discovering Reformed theology and just falling in love with it. And so there, there's really, it seems like the Holy Spirit is doing something, mm. uh, something special here. And mm. um yeah, that's that's kind of what energizes me and and gets me excited as I think about the future. Amen. Me too. Yeah, I've been saying that for a while. I mean, I've I've changed it a little bit, maybe. Maybe I'm getting just older and more cynical. But uh, when I was in youth ministry, Willie would hear me talk about this quite a bit, that as I was talking to teenagers and young adults on a regular basis, I said, I can feel like, I don't think... I just feel some like rumblings amongst them of like possible revival eventually. Like not, I don't know how soon it could be a decade, but I just feel an uneasiness about what the culture is saying and people realizing like this is empty. 
and, and there's nothing here. And we're kind of seeing that even more and more, I think, recently. And so, yeah, I, uh, I've changed it a little bit to say, like, well, um, we're either going to see revival or we're going to see total collapse. <laughs> 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 we're on the verge of something big happening. Um, and it's, uh, it's either God's going to be in his grace and mercy going to show us, uh, uh, another revival here, which would be, uh, really fun to be a part of. Um, or God's going to say, all right, I've had enough and, uh, and turn, turn away for a time because he does that to nations too. Right. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Are, are you think, are you seeing those same kind of rumblings though? Yeah. So uh, I think we avoid in this area using the word revival because this is the, you know, the burned over district of the second great awakening, kind of the That's epicenter right. of Charles Finney's preaching and the birthplace of Mormonism here in Palmyra, New York, and also the birthplace of the modern American spiritualist movement, just two miles down the road from the church I go to. So, uh, we try not to use the word revival, <laughs> um, yeah. but it, it, you know, this has been a, um, this has been a place where there hasn't been, uh, where people, ha- you know, people have not been religious in this area for a long time. And it, it makes it kind of an interesting place. I, I found it an, an interesting place, especially growing up in, a, in West Michigan. I, I found it a, an interesting and fascinating place to minister because everything you would associate with a rural area in America, you would find here. Um, it's a little more populated than rural areas, say out in the plains or whatever, of course, but um, mm-hmm. it's everything you'd, everything you'd find you'd, you'd associate with, with a rural area you'd find here in, in our County, except for church attendance. Um, mm-hmm. Churches are uh, very small or closed. And it's been that way for a long time. I understand as I, as I talk to people, they say, yeah, there really wasn't, it's not like sometime recently, church going collapsed in this area. It's just, um, it's not a very, it's not a very religious mm. place. And mm. so that means, I mean, that, that just, it's, that makes it exciting to me because there's such, there's such an opportunity for evangelism. So to see people yeah. starting to come to churches and say, yeah, I'm really interested in, in theology is that, that tells me something's going on. These are, mm-hmm. it, it can't just be the case that people are moving from one church to another because there are very few churches that have people in them. Uh, yeah. 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 I've been trying to help my church see that too. Cause you know, we're in rural, I mean, I consider us still rural Wisconsin. Um, you know, we're, we're a half an hour North of Madison and we're a fairly, you know, the, the town we're in is 16, 17,000 people. So it's not like a teeny little town, but I grew up in uh, just rural areas most of my life and it still feels very rural here. And most of the people in my church have just kind of assumed that our community is still primarily Christian. And yet when I uh, get like data on our community and I look at it, I'm like, no, probably about 30% are Christian in, in, in our town. And uh, no more than that attend church, but still even church attendance is like 40%, yep. I think, but only 30% believe in Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior, right? So like 30% is who are Christian. And so um, I said, that means like, for one, we're not in a Christian town anymore. We're in a primarily something else. And uh, that means the fields are white for the harvest. And so yeah. Jesus says, Pray for someone to send workers into the harvest, right? And and guess who the workers are? Right, that'd be us. 
And so we have a great opportunity to do some, some good evangelistic ministry. But um, what, what a lot of people find out quickly, though, as soon as you start doing evangelistic ministry, uh, things get really messy. And, uh, and that's hard to, you got to figure out how to walk through experiences your church has never experienced before. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have anything to say in response to that, but, uh, yeah, I want to, yeah. I want to transition a little bit because I, I really want to hear your thoughts on just some of the things going on in the Christian reformed church. Uh, because I know, you know, being someone who's grown up in the Christian reformed church, but even how you and I met, uh, uh, the first time we were talking about, you know, crazy church order stuff. And I thought, boy, this guy likes church orders that we don't find. Yeah, when, did, when did we first meet? At uh, the Abide Convention. The very oh, first okay. One. That's right. Okay. I was just yeah. trying to figure out if there was yeah. some other. Okay. No, no. It was at the Abide Convention. Okay. Yes. And so uh, I'm like, all right, well, nobody, not many people just read church order for the fun of it. So, so uh, he, Nick's kind of in this wanting to kind of know what's happening in the CRC. Um, actually, I just have one random question. Yes, so, go ahead. I, was, I was reading an old church order commentary, and it was written by a guy with the last name of Monsma. So is yeah. it a relation to you? No, my grandpa always called those. Well, you don't have to put, you don't have to put all of this in the podcast, but um, my grandpa always called those the educated Monsmas. <laughs> Or he called them the Democrats. Uh, that part you can you can cut out of the. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I'm not related to it, probably any of the monsters you've heard of. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I thought you know you you like church order and stuff, but anyways, like what as you're looking at kind of our current situation in the CRC. Um, I guess for one, we kind of talked a little bit about how we got here, and I don't want to spend really time on that. I, I want to hear your thoughts on kind of where we're at and, and where you think we're going as a denomination right now. Yeah, I of course don't know where we are going, but I do have ideas of where we could go. Uh, and I'm reminded of recently I heard a, a woman who joined the East Palmyra congregation when I was the pastor there. Um, she and her family joined and she said this, that when she came and visited the church, she looked in the pews and we had a copy of the creeds and confessions in the pews. And she said that was the first church she'd ever been to where the church was upfront like this about exactly what they believed and what you were going to hear from the pulpit. Um, mm. And she, she told that story, I believe as a way of, of pointing to one of the things that gave her confidence that this is a great place for my family to, to grow and be discipled because I know, you know, if I have a question about what this church believes, I can pull the book right out of the pew and look it up and say, that's, Hey, this is what they believe. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's, that's important. I think, I mean, I think that's important everywhere, but I, that is important in a, in a place like this where there are not, where people have been exposed to a lot of different spiritual movements and a lot of different ideas and there's there's a to to be upfront with visitors about what you believe, what you're going to teach from the pulpit, what you're not going to teach from the pulpit, is an act of hospitality. Mm-hmm. It's an act of saying to people, "Hey, let me tell you what this place is going to be like over the next five to ten years. Would you like to join us?" And I th- I think that's very important as um, as our culture increasingly finds itself 
asking a lot of questions and wondering uh, is yeah wondering what truth is at least they don't at least they at least they can be confident that what they're going to hear from the pulpit in in our churches is going to be consistent yeah so I, I think I think that's an often underappreciated aspect of being a confessional denomination. We've been, of course, over the last couple of years, had a lot of conversations in the denomination about what it means to be confessional and, and what the confessions are doing. And, and I find it really disappointing that those conversations have so often focused on the plight of office bearers and how the confessions restrict them. And we get into debates about whether office bearers should be more free to say things that are you know, that aren't consistent with the confessions, or should office bearers be more restricted? But I don't know that the confessions, that the way in that the confessions and the form of subscription, I don't know that we should primarily think of those things as for the office bearers. I, I think we should think of those things as primarily for the congregation, as a way of ensuring that the congregation is going to get a healthy and consistent diet of biblical teaching. Um, and and I, I'm just I, I'm a little disappointed that that we seem to be focusing. In fact, I, I think it's somewhat ironic that at the same time we're talking about, uh, you know, at the same time we've we've passed a a code of conduct to protect to protect people from abuse of power. We're debating whether we really need to have in place safeguards for this kind of abuse of power, for getting up in the pulpit and saying whatever happens to be on your mind. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, uh, it's, it points to, um, it points to one of my frustrations that I've seen, not just in our denomination, but in, uh, various churches that I've engaged with over the years that, um, but the CRC, we'll just say that as we look at disciplinary cases in the CRC over the years, we have not had a hard time disciplining people for actions but we rarely discipline someone for doctrine and, uh, and we've kind of separated those things. Right. So when we talk about holding people accountable for their doctrine, we're like, well, I don't, we should be kind of loosey goosey there, but when we hold them accountable for their life, now we need to draw in on that. And uh, what, what I find funny about that is that, you know, often throughout this process and, you know, cause now I'm a, not that public of a face, not that many people know about us, but, but those who do progressives who do know about us, you know, kind of call us the Pharisees all the time. And I'm like, but actually the Pharisees were the ones that were like, well, you know, doctrine, we can, <laughs> they, they, they really drew tight lines on what we believed, but then they didn't necessarily live out their beliefs. That's one of the things that Jesus was rebuking them for. And I'm thinking, you know, who's really acting more like the Pharisees here? Yeah, I, uh, that's I, a really sorry. Go, go ahead, Willie. Well, ahead. I was just gonna, I was just going to say that that's very well pointed out. And as you're kind of saying, you know, you, we we very easily discipline for matters of life, but not doctrine. This was actually stated by uh, the young adult representative in my committee. Actually, when she, I mean, she has a, a degree in social work and stuff like that, and she said on the floor of synod, it is very hard to believe something and then not act on it accordingly. So that we have like implicit bias and she was kind of making us known of that. So even if people have these quote private reservations or private rebellions, unquote, uh, and then people will just say, no, we're not going to act on this and we're not going to teach against this. She was saying it's not a matter of if you're going to, it's a matter of when you're going to. 
So I think that comes into play when we're talking about what you believe too, as it pertains to the covenant for office bearers, their gravamen issue, uh, church order and the confessions like we're talking about here. Yeah. So as I think about the the future of the denomination, I, I, I was talking earlier about, you know, the glue that holds us together and we, you know, we can't make that glue. We can't pretend that that glue is our identity as a Dutch immigrant denomination. That glue is dried and cracked and we can't just rub some water on it and think it's going to suddenly be sticky again. Uh, so we need, we need to figure out, is there something that can hold us together? Maybe there's not, you know, maybe it's God's will that this is the end of the road for the Christian reformed church. And, uh, but, but if, if it's not, then we're, we're going to need to find some glue that holds us together. And I think this is a, I'm convinced that this is probably what we ought to lean into our identity as a confessional denomination and not just because we're trying to protect some set of books on a shelf and say, hey, we want these books to represent our doctrine, but because of what we want for the people in the pews, that we want people in the pews and the growing number of people, Lord willing, the growing number of people in our pews to be taught consistent doctrine and to be discipled consistently, uh, no matter who the pastor is year after year and decade after decade. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it's, if it's based on the pastor, then it's based on the pastor. Right. <laughs> and then, and then everything <laughs> kind of goes, comes and goes with the pastor. Right. And there are and, thousands of churches. <laughs> you know, if that's yeah. what we want, if we want a church that has a very, very thin statement of faith, you know, 10, 10 bullet points on a, on the website. And then the rest of it is up to the pastor to decide whether he's going to teach that this is what, this is what God clearly says or not. And this is what God tells you you must do or not. Uh, then, we're, you know, we're, we're going to be like every other, every other church. And you know, if, if someone wants to make an argument that that's what the church should be like, fine, go ahead. But th- that's not different. And that's not glue that's going to hold us together. Yeah. And that's also not who we have been historically. And, well, it's not who we are supposed to be, right? Well, I, I mean, right. I would I would yeah. agree with that. I mean, but yeah. it's kind of yeah. who we're trying to be. We've tried to become kind of broadly evangelical, really, and less and less reformed. I, I hear this, and it just uh, irks me. I, I hear this from people suggesting that the way to save Calvin Seminary is to become um, more broadly reformed and, and hold looser. To, and I'm like, that's no, that's not going to save anything. Um, but, uh, but, but at the core of a lot of what you were talking about and our, uh, and my frustration is, is we've just lost an understanding of what it means to be in covenant with one another. That like, does it mean like if we're in covenant with one another, does that mean that we're just we can, we're not going to hold similar beliefs. We're just going to like pool resources together. Or does it mean something different where we're accountable, we're incurred, we're supported, you know, there, there, we've, we've lost that idea of what it means to be a covenantal denomination as far as how congregations are covenanted together and classes and, and whatnot. Yeah. We, we have to covenant together for something or around something or because of something. And I, I think I was, um, I listened to um, your conversation. I think it was with Aaron Gradanis uh, recently, and you somebody had made a made reference to the fact that individual congregations don't survive if their purpose for getting together is to simply maintain the institution, and that's also going to be true of the denomination. So, if we're looking for the glue that holds us together, yeah, it can't be our identity as a 
denomination for Dutch immigrants, but it also can't be the denomination that exists to maintain our institutions. Mm-hmm. That's going to require in putting increasing numbers of resources in that direction, and we will just slowly die or quickly die more, more quickly than we would otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. We'll quickly die. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think any, and it's one of the biggest things I've noticed just in my work with uh, church revitalization, either uh, or two, is that um, most church revitalizations got to where they were at because the church decided to function to save the church and not to like stay on mission and do what it was supposed to do. And then they get into a position of fear where they're afraid to do anything. And, uh, and I mean, that's what we're seeing in the Christian Reformed Church right now too, right? We're afraid to make some decisions that we know have to be made. Like logically, based on our church order, uh, theologically based on God's word, like there are some decisions coming up at Synod 2024. And I don't, I, I think most people know what needs, what decisions need to be made. And, uh, but we're afraid to do it because we're afraid of what's going to, what's going to happen as a result of it. And that's actually the sign of, a, of an organization that's dying where they don't do what they're supposed to do because they're afraid. And, uh, and, and it's actually, um, it's sinful. <laughs> if, if God's commanded you to do something and you don't do it because you're afraid to do what God has commanded you to do, that's called, you know, traditionally a sin of omission, right? Not doing what God has called you to do. And so, um, you know, we we really need to to look ourselves in the eye and recognize that by by refusing to take action on some of these things, um, we need to repent of those as well, and we need to um, seek forgiveness and then seek to live into what God has commanded us to do. So, I'd be curious from you, Nick. Um, you know, people are starting; their brains are starting to kind of head in the direction of Synod twenty twenty four. We've had. A couple of big synods, uh, 2022, 2023. I know you've been watching, paying attention. Um, what kinds of things would you want to encourage people to start thinking about or even acting on as uh, as we start looking forward to synod 2024? Something that I am concerned about for the denomination are the number of small and declining churches in the denomination. And I'm actually afraid that, afraid is maybe the wrong word because I don't want us to have an attitude of fear, but I I think we need to be thinking, we need to enable ourselves to think more about how we're going to engage in fruitful congregational ministry at the local level. And the the more energy we have to spend over the next five, 10 years fighting denominational battles, I think the more at risk our ability, the more at risk our ability to focus on local congregational ministry is. I would 100% agree with what you're saying. And that's really, it has come up repeatedly in the podcast, how um, most of us want to move beyond these battles. And we want to get to the heart of some of the struggles going on. And we're investing time and resources and energy and all of these battles at a different level um, when we would rather see them in the struggling churches. One of uh, probably the podcasts that will be airing before this one, we were talking about having a heart for these small rural churches and for the denomination to really figure out a way to come in and support them in a different way. They, I see a desire from the denomination to want to support, but they're not. Uh, most of them feel unsupported 
and uh, don't know what to do. And so I think we need to figure out a way. I've, I've been encouraging uh, classes start to start asking these kind of questions to keep it even a little more local than the denomination. Like as a classes, how can you start um, supporting your small rural churches or even just small churches? We have some small city churches in classes, Wisconsin too. And how can we support them, encourage them, um, and help kind of send them on mission um, as well. So uh, it's really one of the things we need to consider in, in the midst of all of these battles we're fighting that on the other side of them is something bigger and greater um, where we can we can really see mission move forward. And and we'd see the gospel go forward, like you were saying, right? And you're, you guys are seeing this kind of fruit of the gospel there and and we want to be freed to do that. Yeah, and... and... Because I am one of the few people on on staff at the Christian school who is who comes from this uh, confessional reformed background, I and and because I have this this role in the administration of helping everybody to understand, hey, where where does the school theologically come from, and why does the school exist, and what what are we trying to do here that makes this not just some private school, but a, a thoroughly Christian school and a, and a covenantal school, a, a school whose very existence emerges from this idea of the covenant. It's it's fascinating to fascinating to me to see how interested and excited other believers are to discover this theology and this way of thinking about God's grace and how God works in the world. And if now the the teachers at the at the school, the staff at the school are all faithful church going people. But if they're excited about it, then there are also going to be people who haven't been to church maybe since they were kids, or have only been for a couple of baptisms and weddings. And as they discover the God's grace in Jesus Christ, they're similarly going to be going to have their eyes light up and say, "Hey, I didn't know I didn't know there were churches where they thought about things this way." Yeah. So I, I think. I'm convinced that our confessional our confessional heritage is a is a is a real asset, and we should lean into it. And yeah. worst case worst case scenario, we lean into it, and as it turns out, that doesn't lead to fruitfulness somehow, and the denomination continues to fizzle and 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 die. But uh, you know, let's try something, right? <laughs> and, yeah. And I and I don't mean to suggest that this is just something. As, I mean, I've, I firmly believe this. This is yeah. This is what I'm passionate about. Yeah. Well, and I've just seen that too. Uh, uh, I just last weekend or a couple weekends ago, I was at a a classes wide youth retreat, and uh, the 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 topic for the weekend was being reformed. And so the speaker was talking about what does it mean for us to be reformed. Christians and what, how do we view the world? How does that shape how we view worship and the sacraments and all of that? And, and uh, it was interesting because some of the leaders got a little nervous, like, oh, this might be a little too heady, a little too intellectual for the teenagers, you know, all of those. And I'm like, no, we've been there, done that. Teenagers are not afraid of heady intellectual things. And uh, what happened uh, throughout the weekend, I kind of served as like the retreat pastor and I hopped around from small group to small group all weekend and uh, their brains started getting engaged with this stuff and they started asking questions. And I would go sit in on a small group and say, do you guys have any questions from the weekend so far? And they would just fire them at me. They were yeah. just asking questions. What does this have to do with this? What does that have to do with this? And like two hours later, I would be like, all right, I got to go. I can't, but, but we, because they were just 
curious about it. And the more we were able to help, I was able to help them kind of see the world through a reformed lens. Um, they were like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. Well, what about this? And and uh, it was really just kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together for these kids. And they were, I could see their eyes just lighting up and they're getting excited. And, and, uh, and I keep thinking, like, why haven't we been doing this? Why, like, why are we afraid to talk about these things? Because when we do, it seems like people get excited about it. Yeah. And they, it starts to answer the questions that they've been asking for a really long time. Right. I mean, I, I was a teenager once. Uh, so, so was my wife. And, and we were excited about these things. You know, when I, um, when after we had, my wife and I had been dating, uh, my now wife, of course, uh, had been dating for, a couple of years and we were in college, she said she wanted to become a member at, in my church in a Christian reformed church and, and leave the Methodist church. And I was kind of nervous about that. I said, well, you know, like, don't, don't do this for, for me. I mean, you know, we're not, I don't know that we're going to continue dating for and, and she looked at me and I, she probably was nicer than this, but I remember her saying, looking at me and saying, something like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this for you. I, you know, I, I love this. I love this church. I love this theology. I want to be part of this church, whether, you know, whether we're together or not, which is uh, kind of a remarkable thing, but it shows, you know, I just see time after time, kids love this. Uh, so do, so do young families like the, the mother that I spoke of earlier, who said she was, she was confident. This was a place that you know, our church was a place she wanted to, she wanted her family to, to be discipled because, um, because she, she knew what the theology was. And, and, you know, even if you disagree with it here or there, or think you might disagree with it here or there, at least it's, it's something to grab a hold of and to, and to wrestle with. And, yeah. and that wrestling, yeah. that grabbing a hold of that, that thinking about that digging deep is something that, that historically our churches have loved to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what, it's, that's what's exciting for me about what I'm calling this kind of reformation happening in the CRC is that I'm seeing, I mean, it's the younger pastors who are coming up and saying, we need to get back to this. We need to recover this kind of tradition of, of discipling our people and, uh, and taking them deep in uh, God's word and deep into our theology because we're seeing it. We're seeing it answer the questions that people have. And uh, it kind of has just triggered in me. I, I recently read, uh, it's like a little small booklet that Tim Keller wrote, uh, I think shortly before he passed away, called How to Reach the West Again. And uh, and one of the things he mentions in, in there is that we need to learn how to do counter-catechesis. And we need to be able to say, like, here's what the world believes, and here's why that's wrong, and here's why what we believe makes more sense out of the world and who God is and how to live. And we need to we need to recover that. And, uh, and so we need to, we just got to, Part of that's bringing back the old catechisms, and and because those are some of those central things. Um, but but part of that's learning how to kind of answer these questions in ways that that people are asking them now. And so we need to kind of contemporize some of that. Even Bavink, Bavink had a really interesting quote, um, and I don't know where I heard Gail Dornboss give this quote, so I have no idea where it's from. But um, but she said that Bavink was always pushing that you know each generation needs to needs to kind of revocalize the, the theology in the terms and the ways that in which people speak that it needs to help people understand it um, in their own worldview and what I found really interesting was Bavink you know he's writing this a hundred something years ago he said people don't have a lot of time to read big books and so we need to come up with theology that's in more bite-sized pieces for people who don't have a lot of time and I thought that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so um, 
<laughs> if he only but, knew. <laughs> if he only knew uh, about TikTok. But right. But I, but I was thinking, like, you know, what 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 ways can we start being more creative and and being able to utilize and, and speak to the questions that people are asking and uh, and if we really believe what we believe is really real. I forget who said that once, but um, we believe that that we have the best answers to the questions that people are asking. So I think we should just unashamedly go out and tell people like, Hey, you, you, you have these questions about your life and about the world. Let's talk about it. Cause I think I've got some answers that are going to help you as you live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're wrapping up, Nick, and uh, we always give our guests an opportunity to kind of give some final words, final thoughts, something that's been on your heart and mind throughout the conversation. And we have a lot of different people that listen to our podcast. There's pastors and elders and deacons, but lay leaders and uh, college students and high schoolers that are listening to this podcast. And so kind of what would be some kind of final words you want to leave them with at the end here? I think, as I think about what I am seeing happening in this little tiny corner of um, of the Christian Reformed world, uh, I you know I don't I don't know always what's going on in other places, but I can I I think about the both what God is doing here and the needs here, and maybe just a little plug and say you know maybe there's maybe there's somebody out there who is sensing a call to invest in a community where there's a resurgence of interest in in reformed theology and god's doing something here and there is amazing opportunity um you know if you want to stay near great lakes but also be near mountains um this is uh it's the one place you can do that uh <laughs> um but uh, yeah i've just encouraged people to um and and not just here, but encourage people to 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 think about where God is calling them to invest and what things are might be happening in other little corners of the CRC. Uh, where might God be calling you to to serve and to and to uh, maybe even move to to get involved in in some of the good work that's happening in other places? That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way, you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to The Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for our conversation with Victor Larman. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.